Alright guys, welcome back to our book club on chapter 3 of the Case for Christian National. Oh, actually, this is chapter 2. We did the intro first. Is it weird that every time you say the Case for, I, I, start, I start thinking, oh, the Case for Christ. I was just like, <laughs> what? <laughs> what book am I reading? <laughs> Not that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we have a goal today of getting this done in an hour because we always take forever with these book clubs and we're going to the shooting range after this. Mm -hmm. So uh, bear with us. I didn't even start our timer. Okay, there we go. Mm -hmm. We have an hour from now to get this done. Don't you love how professional we are? We're so professional. Mm -hmm. That's what people listen to us, mm -hmm. to get professional, unbiased opinion. Exactly. <laughs> All right, let's hop right into it. Kendrick, any thoughts before we start breaking down this chapter? Oh! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I understand. <laughs> okay, well, that's all we need then, guys. <laughs> yeah, okay. See you tomorrow. All right, so chapter two is called Redeemed Nations, What is Man? Part two, Fallen Redemption. So, long title. Um... And then we're on section one, state of sin. Now, what he's going to begin is a discussion on um, what did these principles look like, these civil principles look like after the fall? Mm -hmm. What carried over from the state of perfection into the state of fall? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of what he's dealing with. Um, but let's read the first paragraph and then um, mm -hmm. we'll get Kendrick's thoughts here. Uh, having discussed man in his state of innocence, we now turn uh, to the states of sin and grace. The intent is to identify the theological basis for continuity and discontinuity in social relations between the three states. In other words, what changed and what stayed the same in human society before and after the fall? So, mm -hmm. what do you think? All right, so I agree with that. Yeah. I think you had to be a heretic to not agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, also agree, sort of, with total depravity. Um, yeah, he's getting into that in the next section, and yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think it's interesting because you'll have this movement in Christianity that says after the fall, all these things were lost. Mm -hmm. And it tends to come in more with the dispensational side of things, maybe the more extreme dispensational side of things mm -hmm. and they'll even you know say the dominion mandate doesn't carry over anymore because of the fall mm -hmm. so this is kind of dealing with all that yeah uh, it's weird because um, in the Noahic covenant uh, God reinstituted the uh, dominion mandate but uh, yeah. we'll get back into it. yeah well that's covenant theology though Kendrick oh my bad <laughs> All right, the next section he goes into is on total depravity. I'm sure um, if you're anywhere into Reformed theology, you, you're familiar with um, total depravity. Um, but he makes a few interesting points that um, maybe will shine or maybe nuance your view of what total depravity is. And maybe you'll even disagree with what he's saying. Mm -hmm. But um, I highlighted in the first paragraph... There is no Reformed theologian, oh, that is no Reformed theologian, claimed that the fall of man separated man entirely from knowledge of the natural law and the ability to perform it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. And I, so I was actually reading the case of Noah. Um, after the flood, they go on land and then he's naked in his tent. Mm -hmm. One of the sons goes in, um, leaves, says, hey, dad's naked in there. <laughs> and then the other two sons go in and cover him. Right? Mm -hmm. Now, what's funny is the curse falls on the one that told the brothers he was naked. Mm -hmm. And the blessing goes on the two brothers that went and covered him. Mm -hmm. um, when I read that, I thought, well, that's interesting because, you know, in Ten Commandments, thou shalt uh, honor your father and mother. Mm -hmm. Well, I think probably why he was cursed was because he went and told his brothers that his father was naked. Mm -hmm. And the other two honored him by covering him. And I can see the blessing and curse that's flowing from that. But what's interesting is this is before the Ten Commandments were written down. Mm -hmm. And this is in the fall. Mm -hmm. 
so I I was just reading and I thought, wow, I never kind of picked up on that before. You know, it's almost like there was an unwritten law yeah. in the human heart. Yeah, even before the Ten Commandments were written down, they were still binding on society. Yeah. So, yeah, I can see where he's coming from with, with saying that. Long story short. Yeah. Uh, anything you have highlighted, Kendra? You know, it's weird because I actually agree with his initial definition, mm-hmm. but I don't agree with his... Um, with the outcome um i don't agree with some of the outcomes that he presents um let's see um hold on uh (laughs) yeah i lost it first of all i first of all i would have to disagree where he says um that there are two things with the natural and the supernatural uh i agree that they're both um that they're both uh, collated, that they're both uh, uh-huh. together. Um, yeah, it's in the second paragraph. Yeah. Um, Here, I'll, I'll read it. That way we can kind mm-hmm. of uh, break it down. Recall that we distinguish the two species of gifts that God gave to man, natural and superma- supernatural, mm-hmm. or perhaps better put, constitutive and perfective gifts. gifts. Mm-hmm. I said that the former reason, body, understanding are essential to man as man and principally concern earthly things. Mm. The perfective gifts are non-essential to man as such, but necessary for his perfection and his knowledge of desire for and ability to strive after eternal life and to worship God rightly in heart. Yeah. Um, I, I would think that I would think that there are no distinctions. I think he makes those distinctions and then falls back on the reformers to make and then he uh, goes back and makes those distinctions with the reformers. Yeah, I think we would see it more interconnected mm-hmm. than he would. Yeah, but overall, I agree with his yeah. definitions. Well, let me get your thoughts on this. Mm-hmm. Um, he says on page 83, It might be surprising to discover that Reformed theologians, including Calvin, affirm that man lost only the supernatural gifts at the fall. The natural gifts were corrupted but not lost. Mm-hmm. Agree, disagree. I think I agree with that. I, I think I would sort of agree with that. Okay. Um, I think that the part that I just disagree with is a, is the dichotomy. Yeah. But honestly, I agree with it. Yeah, I think so too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, knowing how we would nuance it from him, but yeah. Um. Also, um, man can no longer choose spiritual things or achieve theological good. Agree with that. Um, I'm just not sure how you go about it as a Thomas, but we'll just leave that. But here, I can. I think I can actually represent him fairly on this. Mm-hmm. So I think he would say, you know, an unbeliever can do externally good things, mm-hmm. um, like you know, have children and have a family. Yeah, that's a good. Um, and, you know, they can do that because, you know, the natural laws on their hearts. To some degree, they know they should have kids and have a family. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the the supernatural ends that orient you towards God mm-hmm. are the things that are lost in total depravity. However, even in doing those things, they are still skewed in sin. Oh, yeah. Their yeah. desire to have a family is... is let's be honest, to ultimately accomplish the end of the secularist goal that is to bring self joy. Yeah, so yeah, we see less of a dichotomy between Mm -hmm. the um, natural and supernatural than he would. Mm -hmm. But I imagine that's probably what he would say. Mm -hmm. Alright, anything else before we move on? Nope, I, I think I agree with everything that he says on total depravity, it's okay. All right, well, um, the next section is on civil virtue. Mm-hmm. Um, and he quotes Althusius. Mm-hmm. He said, um, Althusius wrote, for example, that in political life, even an infidel may be called just, innocent, and upright. Calvin states that all men have impressions of civil order and honesty. They comprehend the principles of civil law 
and have universal agreement in regard to su such subjects, both among nations and individuals, and their ideas of equity agree in substance. I don't think I agree with that. Why? Um, well, first off, so he's saying infidel, okay? Mm -hmm. That's a non-believer. Mm -hmm. um, he's saying they comprehend the principles of civil law and have universal agreement in regard to such subjects. Mm -hmm. How? I, Is this an appeal to natural law? Sort of, but I think it's just that um, uh, even the pagans understand that there must be a civil government in that obviously it'll be skewed for the um, well I guess it do, yeah maybe mm -hmm. I wish he was here so I could ask him mm -hmm. but maybe it's um, just a more general statement mm -hmm. and I'm reading it more specific but I'm thinking more like okay thou shalt not murder okay we know the government should enforce that but what if you get a cannibalistic society like yeah. there, there's obviously exceptions here, but maybe he's saying he's talking about the rule and not the exceptions to the rule. I think he's talking about the rule yeah. here. He's talking about general things. But also that rule is kind of getting lost over time. I mean, look at the abortion rate. Mm -hmm. I don't think, again, this is kind of a problem we have in our society today. Mm -hmm. The farther we get from God, mm -hmm. so I don't know. I, I I sort of understand where you're going with that too. Yeah. I think um, Vivek would have no understanding of the Christian ideals of the government that we have, uh -huh. because well, he's a polytheist. Yeah. Uh, multiple gods, multiple laws. You know. Yeah, and Vivek, um, we know you're listening to this podcast, so I want you to hear me on this. I like you. You're saying a lot of things I like. However, say Christ is the Lord Amen. right now. I cannot vote for someone who's not going to swear in on the Bible. Mm -hmm. So just do it and I'll vote for you. Convert. Mm -hmm. Immediately. Anyways, all right. <laughs> <laughs> we all know that Vivek is intently listening he on is. our... I know he is. He told me. <laughs> all right, anything else? I have a few more things highlighted. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, page 87, um, second paragraph. He said, certainly the effects of sin are all around us. Man rebels against God and commits varieties of moral offenses against his fellow man. Polygamy is prevalent. Domestic and civil tyranny is common. People defraud their fellow man. Nations unjustly dominate others. But these are abuses of these relations. The fundamental relations of man, domestic, kin, national, international, civil, and spiritual are unambiguous ubiquitous sorry among fallen man because natural law reason and instinct remain operative okay so that kind of answers my previous question mm -hmm. I think see I just got to keep reading and he'll answer it yeah <laughs> yeah so he, he was obviously talking about the exceptions to the rule or mm -hmm. as he says the abuses mm -hmm. of the relations so yeah um I think is more talking about how government is a good thing. Yeah. And obviously I would agree with that. Yeah. I think the neo-libertarians would disagree with that, but government is a good thing. Yeah. So I, I posted a meme not long ago and I made a lot of the libertarians mad. Mm -hmm. And look, okay, let, let's go here for a second. I know we're on a time limit here, mm -hmm. but I think we got time. Uh, libertarianism. All right, mainstream libertarianism is really stupid. Like, really stupid. Mm. Um, first off, it's pro-abortion. It's pro-choice. It's pro-weed. Pro pro yeah, it's pro-all the sexual degeneracy. Mm -hmm. So if you're a Christian and you're saying you're libertarian, meaning that, um, repent. Because mm. that's stupid and you should not. And that's not honoring God. Mm. Now, if you say you're a libertarian and you're a Christian and you mean this, um, that God gives us as individuals liberties mm -hmm. which is in the constitution right constitution yeah um oh a uh, declaration declaration yeah sorry i knew it was something mm -hmm. um but our, our rights come from god um and those rights should not be infringed upon by the government okay i'm with you but mainstream libertarianism is not that they think they can just make rights up out of nowhere yeah like 
abortion. Mm-hmm. It's not a right you get from God. So, anyways, just going on a tangent here, but libertarianism is stupid. It is, and um, I think the question, I think the question uh, comes whenever you ask, "What are these rights, and what are what laws should we make?" Yeah. That's whenever libertarian, the mainstream libertarianism just goes. Yeah, and the underlying principle is as long as you don't hurt anybody, it's fine. Well, okay, so that means we can't make any laws about people mutilating their genitals because they're hurting themselves but not anybody else. Mm -hmm. No, obviously that's stupid. You do not have a right to mutilate your genitals. Mm -hmm. What you do have the right at that point is to go into an insane asylum. Mm -hmm. Well, but I mean, it's just so stupid. Um Anyways, we could go on about that, but... <laughs> How do we get on this subject? Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, anything else before I move to the next section? No, I, I agree with this. Government is good. Uh, abuses to government does not disprove... Um, does not disprove it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's... The next section is called Augmentation of Institutions on page 88. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> First paragraph... In the state of integrity, civil government is necessary to direct well-intentioned, though inherently uncoordinated, individuals to the common good. Mm-hmm. However, the introduction of sin causes social disharmony. To achieve its purpose, civil government now must be augmented with the power to suppress sin, else all would certainly run into confusion and end in ruin, writes Willard. Hey, man, brother. Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty basic, and that's what Romans 13 says. You know, we talked about this last season with guest star Jubal, too. Yes. <laughs> now, what's funny is, um, well, let's talk about this. Let's go here for a second. Mm-hmm. Wolf is not a theonomist. No. But also, I don't think Wolf would say we're theonomists. Um, because I don't think most people consider general equity theonomy. Mm-hmm actual theonomy they make a distinction mm-hmm. um, I think we're actually pretty close to Wolf on this he just wouldn't like the title of general general equity theonomy mm-hmm. um, because in the confessions the Westminster and the 1689 they both say you take the general equity of the law mm-hmm. and apply that to society Yeah. so I'm sh- I know he agrees with that mm-hmm. so I think we actually have a lot of commonality there he may just not like us taking the title of theonomy yeah um, you know, I think we're a lot close. I think that he is just misguided on some things, um, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and I think that we would be better siding with Wolf than with some G3 guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he is closer to the mark than they are. Yeah. And, well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it all depends on how you define your term. Um, I don't think you consider us the theonomous. Mm-hmm. We kind of like the word because we like God's law. So, mm-hmm. you know, but at the end of the day, we can get along with Wolf. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, page 89. Uh, Thus, if politics is the art of establishing and cultivating necessary conditions for social life for the good of man, then post fall political order must have what is necessary to enact and enforce those ends. So, post-fall, these things aren't going to come natural. These mm-hmm. are things that now need to be enforced. Mm-hmm. And that's when the government gets to um, bear the sword, basically, yeah. and enforce these things. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense. Yeah. Um, it, it, I just don't... I think we would lose our minds today if I under basically I don't get how you read this book and just lose your mind. Well, I can I can tell you how they didn't read the book. Yeah, <laughs> they they heard little snippets out of it and lost their minds on Twitter. Yeah, guys, you're a Christian. Think critically. Be honest. Mm-hmm. Agreed. All right. Bottom of the page. Civil government in a post-lapsarian world must implement and preserve the best possible conditions for man to pursue his good. 
And again, I think that's the basic basic uh, principle in Romans 13 mm-hmm. um, to you know reward the the, the righteous and punish the evildoer. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was it? Uh, Romans 13, First uh, Peter, two, blah blah blah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's what you get whenever you read the Bible. Mm-hmm. And also, if the go- if there is civil government in in a prelapsarian pre-fall, what well, would be geared towards well the spiritual good and yeah, yeah. and it would be naturally done. Mm-hmm. Now, because of sin, we have to um, put other implementations in place. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so we're getting to a, a part of this section where I have a disagreement. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's what he says on page ninety in the middle of the first paragraph. Mm-hmm. Hence, crafting policy and ethics generally in a fallen world requires us to consider unpleasant trade-offs. The magistrates must have the fortitude to enact and enforce the greatest good, despite unfortunate costs involved. And Christians should recognize the necessity of such choices and shun the moralism that limits action. So, Maybe I just need like a concrete example of what he's talking about, mm-hmm. but to me, it's I, I'm not quite following that point. Okay, so it's hard for me to picture this without an example of what he's talking about. Okay, in the previous section, he talks about uh, just in a prelapsarian world. Yeah, we will face trade-offs with. Um, with yeah, nat- competing interests. Yeah, with competing uh, interests and competing goods. Yeah. You know, you can't. You know, if you're in Africa, and you want um, a well. Yeah. And you want that well, but there's farmland there or something. Yeah. And the farmer's like, "No, that's my, that's my land." And the person's like, "Well, we need water." Mm-hmm. You you gotta do something unpleasant there. Yeah. Um. I would say, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, okay, I, can, I think I can see where you're going with this. Mm-hmm. I was thinking more on the, the sense of not competing interests, but what is evil and what is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we also have to deal with that because, yeah. well, we have to, what was it, we have to shun evil and do good. And do good. Um, yeah. and, but also, there comes multiple things where, uh, okay, here. Mm-hmm. This can help us get to the bottom of this. Let's think about the abolitionist versus the incrementalist issue regarding abortion. Mm-hmm. I think this would apply to what he's talking about. And it may he may even be referencing that with this. Mm-hmm. Um, but the abolitionist would say, no compromise. We put in the best possible law mm-hmm. with equal weights and measures to abolish abortion immediately. Mm-hmm. Now, the incrementalist would say those laws are never going to get passed. So what we need is an incremental approach where over time we get these things in place. Yeah. But, you know, in those incremental areas, there is some evil that has been left untouched that comes along with it. Yeah. But eventually it will go away. But as mm-hmm. of the temporary part, it's still there. Yeah. So if you think of like the, you know, 20 week heart bills or you know whatever it is. Yeah. Um yeah, you can't kill a baby after 20 weeks, but you still can the 20 weeks before that. Yeah. I think that's what he's talking about too. So, I mean, I think that might be my disagreement because mm-hmm. I would side more with the abolitionists on this one. <laughs> okay. I oh, mean, oh, here we go. I'm going to get kicked off. All right. I would say that I'm both. Okay. Um, How can you be both? I would say, yeah, I like the abolitionist movement. Yeah. Um, however, I would say, okay, so with the 20-week heart bill, mm-hmm. heartbeat bill. Yeah. Would you say that that saved more babies than last time? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it would. And yeah. then before that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to save as much babies as possible. I agree, yeah. And I think that that is a good thing. My problem uh-huh. 
with it is that so many of the incrementalists actually compromise. Well, yeah. But, but let's think about this. Let's think Roe v. Wade. All right. So, yeah, the, the Supreme Court basically pushed it off to the states. Mm-hmm. Well, California actually got more extreme mm-hmm. after that and even started inviting people from other states to go have abortions in California. Yep. So it actually got worse mm-hmm. by incrementally handling that federal um, decision. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, the incremental approach can actually end up causing more damage. Mm-hmm. So in a lot of states where there is no heartbeat law or whatever, mm-hmm. and they, they make one, okay? And mm-hmm. that saves a lot of babies. Well, when abortion um, gets passed off to the states, mm-hmm. there's actually laws that were pre-existing that said abortion at no point mm-hmm. could be performed. Mm-hmm. But now that that incremental law has been put in place, allegedly to incrementally save babies, mm-hmm. well, now that that pre-existing law mm-hmm. that, that was there has now been superseded by a law that actually allows... Mm-hmm. For more babies now that has been pushed off to the states, is that right. if that makes any sense? That makes sense. And now that there are more babies, yeah. So now we have like the net uh-huh. is just bad. Yeah, I don't know, man. I think it's a complicated issue. I think we could go back and forth. On yeah, this. I don't want to spend a whole, our whole time talking about <laughs> this because we gotta. We're, we're trying to rush through this. Oh snap. Yeah, I think that's probably what Wolf is getting at, and I might just disagree with him on that. But you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't hate him for it. I think as long as we're moving in the right direction. Book bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, well, let's get into part two. Um, this is not talking about the fall anymore, but um, redeemed man in the state of grace. Mm-hmm. Um, on page 91, the title is The Moral Law as Covenant and as Rule. Mm-hmm. Uh, first paragraph. Civil life, indeed nature itself, cannot remedy man's sinful state. God as a creator did not include in creation an inherent means to reconcile sinful man and a holy God. Salvation requires a gracious act of God as Redeemer. By trusting in the person and finished work of Christ, one is reconciled to God um, an example justified and enters the covenant of grace yeah I mean that's basic that's just Christianity right yeah. there mm-hmm. in a nutshell that's just Christianity whenever you don't yeah That whenever you're not that pietistic yeah so he what he's getting at is you know in the in the fallen world yes there's still government that can't reconcile you to God though mm-hmm. the natural law can't reconcile you mm-hmm. to God what you need is Christ. Yeah, what you need is the gospel, and yeah. the, but do you, but do you just stop there though? So, and yeah. that's where he will. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, well, on page ninety-two, second paragraph, he says, um, and well, anyways, I'll read it and then we'll discuss. Mm-hmm. It is crucial to recognize that though having a title to eternal life rescinds our relationship to the moral law as a condition of works for eternal life, the moral law still remains our only rule for duty and happiness in this life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's great. Yeah. True. I, I don't necessarily know or understand how Wolf, how this works in his system, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, I mean, that sounds like what we believe. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just a little confused. I mean, I'm glad he said it. Mm-hmm. But that's the problem is that yeah, he kind of contradicts himself sometimes. Well, I, he probably, I mean, he probably would say he didn't contradict himself, but I'm, I'm confused when I read it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, maybe he's, maybe he believes just the moral law. Mm-hmm. And we would say, well, we would go beyond just the moral law. Yeah. And go to the civil law as well. Not the sacrificial law, but mm-hmm. civil and moral. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what he's getting at. Ex- well. I'm just confused. <laughs> Me <laughs> Anyways, too. I mean, uh, yes and amen, I'm with you, Wolf. But mm-hmm. 
make this make sense. Hmm. All right, anything else on that section, Kidrick? Um, I would say amen to most, I mean, to all of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, well, next section on page 93 is called Definitive Sanctification. What does he mean? Uh, towards the middle, the sanctified on earth are not perfect, but all the gifts that were either eliminated or corrupted by the fall are restored. Grace restores nature and thereby completes man with the full complement of prelapsarian gifts. Is it continuing to yeah. restore nature? Is it being reconciled, would you say? Well, he's talking, he would say human nature. Oh, oh my not, bad. Not external nature. Oh, okay. Now we would say both as post-millennials. But. Mm -hmm. Well, and let's think about this. I'm agreeing with him here, by the way. Mm -hmm. Now the dispensationals that say the dominion mandate has been lost. Well, this, what he just said directly contradicts that. Yeah. Um, he's saying, well, yes, um, that I wouldn't say the dominion mandate was lost at the fall, but it was corrupted. Mm -hmm. But now in a state of grace as redeemed believers we can actually perform this with in internally pure motives. Yeah. Yeah, we can. Or at least we can attempt to. Yeah, I mean... Um, it's not always going to be pure, but now we're not totally depraved. We have the spirit and the war in the flesh, uh, the spirit in the flesh warring inside of us. But we can actually do good works internally as well. Amen. Uh, we can actually achieve, we can actually do it without sinful motives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that means the dominion mandate mm -hmm. carries over into the covenant of grace. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is basic reformed theology. Basic. And that's why you disbees aren't reformed. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, page 95. Uh, bottom. Since man is restored to integrity, rectitude, and purity, as to his faculties, he is capable of pleasing God in soul and body. Definitive sanctification, therefore, restores us to true obedience to the law of God. Amen. Amen. And progress in sanctification is not a process of transcending the law of God or of escaping it or fulfilling a new law. Again, yes, Wolf, yes. Mm -hmm. How far are you willing to go with this? Thing? Exactly. <laughs> it seems like he just wants to cut it off there. Yeah, he. I think he just wants the moral law, mm -hmm. but I think the moral and the civil law are kind of interconnected. Well, they are. I mean, do not murder w was a capital sin, yeah, and also a. Um, There's civil penalties for it. Yeah. Whereas in the moral law, you can sin, and it's not necessarily a crime, mm -hmm. but also there's sins that absolutely are crimes. Yeah. Um, I would say that blasphemy would be a crime. Would be a crime. Uh, Murder is a crime. Mm -hmm. If I lie to my wife, mm -hmm. I mean, I, that's not a crime. That's a sin. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you lie in a court of law, okay, oh. that's a crime. Mm -hmm. So you know, there's different contexts to this. But how how would the pure how the Puritans he quote decide which one is not a law? I think they would be on our side. Yeah, oh yeah, I agree. They would definitely be on our side. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they carried the title theonomy or general equity theonomy. But Especially general equity. They they would be. I mean, they may not like that title. Yeah, but they would But have. they did that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Anything else on that section, Kendrick? <laughs> uh, no, I, I think we got it. Okay, all right. Uh, so here he's going to get into the Dominion Mandate on page 96. Um, it's titled Adam's Original Task. Okay, this is the part that I had a yeah. problem with. I, okay, so he could have done like a definition of it uh -huh. and just carried over the principles, but no, he had, for some reason, he chose to do a critique. That's post millennialism. Yeah, and that's what I don't get is why do this here? Yeah, and well, not necessarily post millennialism. I think he's critiquing a form of dominion. Yeah, I mean, but why put the critique here? Yeah, well, my question is, mm -hmm. one, I, from what I've read, I don't think 
he fairly represented. I think he kind of attacks a straw man. Yeah. I would like to see the sources for where someone has defined it mm -hmm. the way he defines it in this chapter. Yeah. I don't know David Van Drunen. Yeah. Why doesn't he go after a bigger name like uh, Doug Wilson? Yeah. Um, any of your mainstream post-millennialists, Ken Gentry. Even if he did a critique of the late uh, Rush Juni, that would have been better. Or, I mean, David Chilton. Yeah. I mean, his book, Paradise Restored, is dealing heavily with Maybe even R.C. Sproul and yeah. his... Yeah. Yeah, well, let, let's get into that. Let's hear what he says. Um, well, I guess I'll just read the whole thing. That way we can get the whole context. Mm -hmm. So stick with me here, guys. Um, a brief critique of David Van Drunen will help clarify my argument. He writes, Christians will attain the original destiny of life in the world to come. But we do so not by picking up the task where Adam left off, but by resting entirely on the work of Jesus Christ, the last Adam who accomplished the task perfectly. This is absolutely essential for issues of Christianity and culture. If Christ is the last Adam, then we are not new Adams. To understand our own cultural work as picking up and finishing Adam's original task is, however, to compromise the sufficiency of Christ's work. Christ achieved the new creation through his flawless obedience in this world. He has left nothing yet to be accomplished. So what Van Druden is saying is, all right, so the dominion mandate, first Adam failed. Mm -hmm. And it's being accomplished now in the second Adam, the perfect Adam, Christ. Mm -hmm. Therefore, since Christ is doing it, he has taken on that mandate, not us. Mm -hmm. uh, that's kind of what Van Druden is getting at. Yeah. Uh, it's almost so Christ is reconciling the world through us. But. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that's accurate. Now, I, I think maybe Van Drunen goes a little pietistic with it. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I, I can smell some of it. Yeah. But uh, let's keep reading. So, And here's where he misses the target, I think. Mm -hmm. Van Drunen's main target is neo-Calvinist transformationalism. I reject transformationalism too, since I reject the idea that human work can, whether by Adam or restored humanity, bring new creation to earth. As I stressed in chapter one, human work can mature the earth, but that work apart from a divine act will remain below the state of glory. Van Druden is correct in his sense. If Adam's original task was to bring the world to come to earth by human effort, let me repeat that, because this is where he misses the target. Mm -hmm. um, if Adam's original task was to bring the world to come to earth by human effort, then Christians picking up and finishing this work would seem to deny Christ's sufficient work. Hey, uh, Wolf, um, I'm one of those transformationalists, and I agree with you that yeah, you can't accomplish it through human effort. So who are we arguing with here? No one. Yeah. Uh, it's really just kind of stupid, you know. Well, it seems to me like there's two extreme ditches, and mm -hmm. they can't stay on the road. Mm -hmm. Van Druden's ditch is Christ is doing all the work, so you don't need to take dominion. Mm -hmm. The other ditch is, well, the dominion mandate carries over to humans, um, so you, we continue to take dominion, but that has no real earthly ramifications in the eschatological sense. Where we're saying both Christ and us are accomplishing his will through us taking dominion. Um, and Christ is also taking dominion. Yeah. He's making his enemies a footstool, but the dominion mandate still applies to us. Mm -hmm. You know, it's almost as like though Christ is making new creations right. on earth. And by that, I mean recreating us in, um, yeah. by the way, Augustine said that. Uh, but anyways. Um, yeah, uh, I think he misses the mark on this one because I don't know of any mainstream post-millennial dominionist that would say this. Mm -hmm. I don't know who he's attacking. Yeah, I don't believe it's by our works that he's doing that. Well, even in my language, I say that he is doing it himself. Yeah, I mean, he, the distinction we make is 
it, it's Christ doing the work. Mm-hmm. However, he uses means to do it, which is human beings. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christ is sort of like electricity, by the way. Uh, this is going to be heresy. <laughs> I don't mean it in a heret- heretical yeah. sense. Yeah. I know it sounds heretical, but trust me. <laughs> that's what all heretics oh, say. Here we go. Um, Christ is sort of like electricity. Um, and we're just copper wires, you know? Yeah, and you're saying we're robots? Shut up. (laughs) Yeah, but, I mean, the Spirit, Christ is part of the Trinity. Mm -hmm. He's a member of the Trinity. Mm -hmm. Um, We are indwelt by the Spirit of God, Mm -hmm. so the inner workings of the Trinity are happening inside of us, Mm -hmm. and that's being used for Christ to accomplish his work. Yeah. I don't know. It's a little frustrating to see to be misrepresented, but you know, mm-hmm. no one's perfect. I still like you, Wolf, even if you're you're silly on this part. Book bad, <laughs> heretical. Yeah, I mean, the first half. Mm-hmm. I think more of our um, disagreements are coming in the second half of this chapter. Yeah, that's why I went like the. Yeah, and I have more highlighted on this section. Don't mm-hmm. worry, guys. Mm-hmm. So at the bottom of page ninety-eight. Being in Christ restores us to Adam's moral responsibilities, including taking dominion under God, not as a matter of achieving eternal life, but as a matter of sanctification and of exercising the gifts restored to us. I mean, yes and amen, but we'd go farther. Mm -hmm. We'd say not only are we being sanctified, Mm -hmm. but through us taking dominion, and this might not be the best word for it, but you'll kind of understand the example. The earth is also being sanctified mm-hmm. through that process. Yeah. Um, by being good fathers, um, we have good nations. Yeah. And then good nations makes good things. Mm-hmm. Um, good things makes the earth better. Yeah. And, you know, as we cultivate in a way um, that is God-honoring in a way we take dominion, mm-hmm. um will steward the earth I mean better than we are right now yeah and things will be better I mean it's cultivating the earth it's not destroying the earth yeah but when people think um, of the way we do farming and stuff it's non-regenerative it actually harms mm-hmm. am I sounding like a uh, like a hippie hippie yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's true mm-hmm. I mean we don't give the land a rest but in God's law on the seventh year, what happened? I mean, we had a year of rest. So did the land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I, I would, I would even say that the burn. I mean, there's a reason why burning all your, why the Brazilians burn all their crops, yeah. and it's because the earth is regenerating. Yeah, and I would say that, um, you know, there's a reason why. What was it? The third. You know, where you have like, okay, so you have plots of land. One of them you give, two of them you give rest, two of them. You yeah. Give. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. There's yeah. a reason why that works. Yeah, and I think that's that's the method we should be using. Now, a lot of the time is just using and abusing the earth as oh. much as we can. And even, I'm gonna sound like a hippie. I'm not trying to sound like a hippie, but also, I don't want to try so hard not to sound like a hippie that we're missing the biblical principles here mm-hmm. even the way we handle cattle and yeah I mean it's just it's not the way we should be doing it. I mean even the way we do work yeah I mean our there's a reason why people oh gosh I'm gonna sound like a socialist or <laughs> not we should have a year away from we should have a year of just rest I yeah. mean of dependence on God. Yeah. It was basically a Sabbath year. Yeah. It was a year that you canceled all your debts uh-huh. and that you just rested. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's just how it goes, you know. Now, I mean, obviously, during those six years, they're working hard. And they're probably working a lot harder than we would in our current culture. <laughs> oh, heck Because yeah. you have to work to have the means on that seventh year. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't have food saved up, you're just going to starve. <laughs> yeah. But the point is, work hard those six mm-hmm. years. Rely on God the seventh year. Now, 
we're not per it's not a perfect uh, scheme yeah. but you know that's this for questions for years to come but yeah anyways what how do we get on that tangent mm-hmm. oh the sanctification thing, yeah I see. yeah i mean we would take it farther than the wolf mm-hmm. we'll we'll win wolf over one day yeah <laughs> but wolf by being a good father now i think he's a father yeah he is, he is. um you are you are helping the world you are helping renewing the world yeah we gotta move on we are quickly running out of time Mm. all right page 100 towards the top um that is christians take up the task of true and complete humanity thus ordering this world to the next is not only justified but part of christian duty Van Druden might deny that fulfilling Adam's original task flowed from his nature. He might say that it is an adventitious duty in addition to natural duty, but it is widely held in the Reformed tradition, as I demonstrated in the previous chapter, that dominion follows necessarily from man's nature, particularly in his having the divine image. Agree. Agree. However, I would say that it also... It accomplishes both the spiritual and the and his natural nature. Yeah. And also, you know, how far do you go with this? Um, thus, ordering the world to the next is not only justified, but part of the Christian duty. Amen. <laughs> amen. But we take that farther than you do, I think. We'll and take it better. Yeah, amen. Amen. <laughs> All right, um, page 101, the gospel and natural relations. By the way, that's why I say, oh gosh, we don't have time. Let's go ahead. <laughs> okay. Um, this is part that made me um, upset over the Twitter drama. Because, again, it's like y'all never even thought of it. Mm-hmm. But um, this is where he starts talking about natural relations. Okay. A Christian should love his children over other children, his parents over other parents, his kin over other kin, his nation over other nations. We understand this. Who is actually going to say, I love your kids the exact same way I love my kids? Yeah. If you say that, you're a liar. Yeah. I mean, are you going to go discipline someone else's kids as though you... Yeah. No, of course not. You discipline your kids because you love them more than other kids. Exactly. Yeah. We understand this. People people on Twitter are pretending like they don't understand this. But honest people are like, yeah, obviously I love my kids more than your kids. Also, who would have thought that nationalism could be a good thing? Oh, oh, oh. oh, I know. Crazy thought. By the way, I've always had this in the back of my mind. What is the difference between being a patriot, patriotism, and nationalism? There isn't. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's keep going. Mm-hmm. Page 102. Um, this is part that frustrated me. The influence of Neo-Calvinism <laughs> has led many Reformed churches to assume that the gospel ushered in a social and political revolution and is the basis of full-scale critique of the fundamental structures of our world. Who is saying this? I know. I don't see any footnotes, so I'm just curious. Mm-hmm. Okay, here. He, he, he quotes philosopher Nicholas Walterstorff mm-hmm. don't know who that is for example argues for a world form- formative Christianity in which the Christian struggle or social reform is among the very motions of Christian spirituality he rejects the idea that the social world is an order of nature arguing instead that it is a matter of human decision what medieval Christians considered the natural order is actually a fallen structure I don't know who this guy is, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All the mainstream, what he would consider neo-Calvinists, are not saying this. Yeah. Maybe it's the. Maybe it's the liberals. The li- maybe, maybe, and if, if that's who he's attacking, I'm with you, Wolf. Yeah. But I, I just get confused. Me too. Maybe neo-Calvinism is too broad a term. I don't know. But it's just strange. Mm-hmm. Because I wouldn't say, I mean, we're we consider ourselves Reconstructionists here. 
Yeah. As in the title of our podcast. Whoever with punk. But even in the title, it's like reconstructing. Mm-hmm. It's not inventing a whole new thing to critique the societal structures. Yeah, we're not reinventing the wheel, nor are we breaking any walls. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're just... We're... Basically, I would say that the bricks are... The bricks, the mortar... It's all there. Yeah. It's just that it's just all been... It's just that the stupid Libby's have uh, yeah. have torn it apart. And when they tear it down to the point where it's just a foundation left, we're, we want to remember what came before us and rebuild in that. Yeah. Which is kind of what he's doing here. So I don't know. I don't know, Wolf. He confuzzles me sometimes. We know you're listening, Wolf. Come on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And we'll get Vivek on as well. <laughs> Our friend, Vivek. <laughs> Best friends. All right, 104. <clears throat> Was there anything else on that you wanted to Nope. Do? Okay. Page 104 at the bottom. Thus, pastors should not, in their official capacities at least, be social activists or political coordinators, especially from the pulpit. Althusius rightly said, sacred and secular duties are distinct and ought not to be confused, for each demands the whole man. I don't know if I disagree with that necessarily. I can kind of see it. Uh, really, I mean, I, I know that he wouldn't complain about Dusty Deavers. Yeah. Uh, his, never mind. Uh, you know, uh, I don't think he would complain, I don't think Althusius and him would complain about Dusty Deavers. I think that he is right. There is a separation of church and state. Yeah. And I, I think in an ideal society, Dusty Deavers would not have had to run for office. But because intellectually strong, mm-hmm. um, politically minded Christians is severely lacking mm-hmm. and is actually highly discouraged in our current um, church culture, mm-hmm. that it's a necessity at the moment. But ideally, down the road after things become better, mm-hmm. Dusty could stick to being a pastor and we could actually have robust politically thinking Christians that can run for office. Yeah, I mean... I mean, and I think of Jeff Durbin and all the stuff he's doing to put in abolition bills. Mm-hmm. That's great. Great. I don't think he's sinning or wrong in any way by doing it, but I think ideally, in the future, he shouldn't have to. He, all the time that he's, and that's not complaint. Yeah. Uh, that's not saying he's evil. Yeah. He could be, he could be, more concerned about his flock rather than. Yeah the political stuff it's just that this current time we need them. yeah yeah exactly it's, it's a necessity of the time we're in mm-hmm. but under Christian nationalism maybe not maybe not page 105 Christian nationalism affirms the sacred secular distinction the sacred is always in reference to the things of God that address or relate to man's highest gifts those that make possible the knowledge and of desire for heavenly life these are things that materially conduce to a supernatural end. The secular are temporal things pertaining to the life of this world. Pastors should concern themselves mainly with the sacred things. So I don't like the distinction, but I I can come around to the end point he's making. Yeah. That yes, ideally pastors would be concerning themselves with you know, the spiritual things. Amen. All right, let's keep going. 106, Nation and Grace. Oh, my gosh, we're so close to time. <laughs> All right. Um, since the nation and the affections of nationhood are natural to man as man, grace does not undermine, subvert, or destroy them. And then he says, um, Here Augustine makes a fundamental distinction between spiritual unity in Christ, a unity that takes no account of gender, class, nationality, or earthly difference in the inequality and differences necessitated by earthly life in accordance with natural principles. So, um, this is getting more to the point of uh, our unity in Christ, how, you know, nationhood is natural. Mm-hmm. And um, grace does not, you know, those things don't come about as part of the fall. Amen. They come about, they were before the fall and grace kind of restores those things amen 
I mean, we don't become anarchists whenever we become Christians. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what. I think that's what G three. I'm. Yeah. I think that's what uh, people would want. We live in such a globalist mindset. Um, we're we're just affected with it here in yeah. America, and we have been for a long time. That it's hard to think along these terms, but it is natural. Yeah. So. Um, and they talk about how, you know, in, in Christ we have this this unity that takes no account of gender, class, nationality, or earthly difference. Mm-hmm. But those things don't go away. Mm-hmm. We just have that unity in Christ. Mm-hmm. Which is, I think, where egalitarian missed the point on this. Because I'll say, we're in Christ. There's no gender distinction anymore then. No, that's not what it's saying. It's just saying in Christ we have unity as a church body. Yeah. But, all right. Um, 107. The Reformed tradition affirms that all who have true faith in Christ, who are thereby members of the invisible church, are equally justified. Their social station, sex, and nationality have no relevance. But at the same time, their obligation in earthly life are based on outward earthly qualities and circumstances. Here we see two kingdom theology at work. Yeah. Um, that's two kingdom theology, but also take that uh, G3. He's not really, yeah. he's not saying if you are black, you're not saved. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Even though that's what they hear. <laughs> yeah. Which is insane. God wants a united. Just to be fair, we, we also. We've criticized two kingdom theology, but we do hold to a form of two kingdom theology. Yeah, we believe there is an earthly kingdom that is being conquered by Christ mm-hmm. over time. Yeah, so there's a form of two kingdom theology we hold to. We just don't like the secular, uh, secular or sacred divide. Yeah. So, anyways. But even in his secular sacred divide, he's not saying, you know, look if you're not a Christian. If you're black, you're not a Christian. Yeah. If you're Mexican, you're not a Christian. Yeah, that's insane. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, page 108, the church and the people of God, new section. And I'm going to skip to page 111. <clears throat> this distinction helps avoid the claim that the church that Christ founded, which is one church, both visible and invisible, has in and from itself a worldly mission and focus. It is, after all, founded in grace principally for heavenly life while all members of the visible church are also the people of God. With regard to the extension of these terms, these people have their mission of dominion, not from the visible church, but on account of their status as restored humanity. The church is a kingdom of grace for eternal life, but in consequence of grace, man is restored to nature, and thus is restored to the original mission of Adam with regard to dominion. This is the mission of um, so he's making a distinction between what the mission of the church is mm-hmm. and what the mission of the kingdom of God is or the people of God. Mm-hmm. Which I'm following. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. The church does have a unique mission. Mm-hmm. Um, civil society still has a mission that's different from that. Yeah. Now, they may be interconnected in some ways because civil society needs the church. Mm-hmm. But there are distinct realms of authority and mission. Which you don't get into kingdom theology. <laughs> they just keep on going parallel, but yeah. uh, oh well. They're, we would say they're more interconnected than they would. But, mm-hmm. yeah. We're going to go all over. That's fine. All right. Civil and ecclesiastical administrations on page 111. Church also refer, re- refers to the instituted church. The instituted church is a divine order designed for the particular local administration of sacred things to a particular assembly of the faithful. The ministerium or spiritual ministry, which I described in the previous chapter, is deposited in the instituted church. So he's talking about the duty of the church as we think of it. Yeah. Since civil magistracy and spiritual ministry are different and separate, the instituted church having only having spiritual ministry only principally administers to the soul for salvation and eternal life the instituted church therefore does not replace undermine or create necessary tension with civil order it does not 
form an alternative polis or civil community, a complement with civil administration. Who am I ministering to the soul? Amen. Yeah. But that's only if the civil magistrate that's only if the civil magistrate magistrate does its duty well. Right. And right now it's not. Yeah. And that's why you see pastors getting involved. And that's why you see necessary tension. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. And ideally that's what it would look like. Mm-hmm. It's not what it is right now. But once we move more towards this, yes, I would agree that that distinction probably should be more clear. Yeah. So. All right, we're getting to the end. We're close. Mm-hmm. There's the last section of the book. Um, part three, Dominion and the Divine Image on page 113. I'm skipping ahead a bit up to page 114. Unless you have anything. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, top of 114. The repossession of supernatural virtues has two effects in relation to dominion. First, the redeemed are able to exercise dominion well, to build truly just households and civil communities that practice civil righteousness and worship the true God. Second, we should follow Calvin in affirming the following. So we're going to read Calvin here for a second. God has appointed to his children alone the whole world and all that is in the world. For this reason, they are also called the heirs of the world. For at the beginning, Adam was appointed to be Lord of all on this condition that he should continue in obedience to God. Accordingly, his rebellion against God deprived of the right which had been bestowed on him, not only himself, but his posterity. Since all things are subject to Christ, we are fully restored by his mediation. And that through faith and therefore all that unbelievers enjoy may be regarded as the property of others, which they rob or steal. Oh, sorry, so much to read. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Calvin is saying, yeah, we carry on the work of Calvin. This is just reaffirming the dominion mandate. We carry on the work, yeah. The, yeah the, sorry, did I say the work of Calvin? Yeah. Sorry, I'm rushing. The work of Holy Calvin. Yeah. <laughs> the work of Adam. Excuse yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. After I read all this, my brain just kind of turns to mush the farther along mm-hmm. we go. Yeah, I agree with that. Any thoughts, Kendra? Yeah, it's just that we would, once again, Yeah. I, I don't think I, I, I have to explain this because, but we carry it further. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Also, it kind of contradicts himself. Okay. Well, that's fine. Come on, Wolf. We'll talk about it. We know you're listening. Mm-hmm. All right. Last thing we will discuss. The last highlight I have, unless you have anything else. Here. No. Okay. Top of page 115. We can enjoy the things of this world with a true and good conscience, for they are truly ours in Christ. Also, our disposition toward all good things, even those possessed by unbelievers, should be informed by the fact that they are ours in Christ. To be sure, we have no license to seize these things for ourselves, but by this disposition we can stand over the world as the true heirs of the world, even this world. Amen. Amen, brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I think of like um, the Lion King. Maybe this is an example. Maybe I've heard him say this somewhere. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. But like when he has, uh, when Mufasa has Simba and they're looking over the, the plains. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mufasa, I, I forget how it goes, but he's like, this is all yours. Simba. All that the light touches. Yeah, that's yours. So yeah, Christian, mm-hmm. when you look out there, this is our world. Amen. I, f- I think there was a documentary that um, Doug Wilson's son did on nature. Mm-hmm. He's talking about how all the animals are ours. Yeah. I mean, they were literally given to us to take dominion over. Mm-hmm. Now the state wants to take them into basically give the animals dominion over us. Because if you like look at a bird the wrong way, the FDA will come and arrest you or something. Uh, I'm exaggerating, but you know what I mean. Look at the bird the wrong way? Yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> Not in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. The, they're so protected that basically the animals are oftentimes more protected than even human beings are. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but it's, it's, it's backwards. We have dominion over the animals, and that doesn't mean you go and slaughter all the animals either, just for the record. Mm-hmm. It, it means we are to steward them, just Except like all of other creation. Except for pandas. Yeah, pandas are actually useless. Yeah. <laughs> they should have died a long time ago. They really should have. Anyways, yeah. Let's leave on that encouraging note that, you know, things may be bleak. Mm-hmm. The, the government may try to take everything from us. Mm-hmm. They can't, though. The whole world is ours. Mm-hmm. Also, the world doesn't belong to the government. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They wanted to, though. Oh, yeah. But that's because... All right. Here, here's a good way to close this. The government wants to be God, guys. Literally everything the government today does is actually setting itself up as an idol. Mm-hmm. You may not see it, but that exa- it's trying to be God in literally every area of our lives. I'll leave you on that note. Think about it. Maybe we'll come back and touch on that. But as of now, God bless you guys. We'll see you for chapter three.